Yeah, again, on first Sundays, it's a family service. And, and I shared earlier, you know, with the child dedication and the births, uh, there are seasons as a church family. Um, sometimes there's memorials as well. Um, and then we celebrate when God brings in new families, right? That's a season of newness, and many of you are fairly new from last year into this year, and we welcome you. Uh, and then there's sometimes in, uh, in a church family when God calls families uh, to to depart to other parts of the country, other parts of the world, just kind of what he's doing in their life. And so this morning, uh, we as a church family have an opportunity to pray for and send off uh, the Swallows family. So I want you guys to come on up. And um, I've known uh, Cindy and Larry, her husband, for over 20 years. And uh, kids grew up with them, uh, very special uh, part of our family's life. Josh and Steph, I remember when you were dating, and then you got married, and now you got two running around here. Um, if you don't know, uh, this family is a whole is a very foundational part of our church. Uh, 13 years ago, um, God put it on, on our heart, my wife and I, to just have a Bible study, not even start a church, just have a Bible study, and we asked Cindy if she would open her home right over there. And lo and behold, many of you kept coming, and that was our first church sign right there on her front door after a few weeks. And I think there's one more that showed what it was like with the green plastic chairs. And uh, word just spread. And, uh, you know, Randy's one of Randy's favorite word, organic. Uh, God just moved. And what started as a Bible study just right over here uh, in this neighborhood uh, became this 13 years later. And it's a testament to God's faithfulness. We give him all the glory and praise. Uh, but also a testament to, to your faithfulness. And uh, really appreciate uh, your family as a whole. Uh, seeing you grow up, and uh, it's just beautiful, and I know uh, Glenn and Mel and the family in Tennessee are all excited uh, to have everyone there uh, together, so uh, we're going to pray for them, and uh, you'll be departing in the next few weeks, very busy time, so if you would pray for their, just a transition, you know, uh, it's, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, uh, God opened some incredible doors that really only God could do to make this happen this quickly, um, so we're going to send you off, okay, let's pray, so Father, thank you. Uh, that in your sovereignty, in your providence, uh, you bring uh, people into our lives. And they're very special people. And uh, they're there for, for a lot of different reasons. And so, Father, uh, this morning as a church family, uh, we want to celebrate and send off the Swallows family. Father, I thank you, uh, not just personally, but I thank you pastorally, uh, to think about uh, what Cindy and her family did uh, 13 years ago in opening their home uh, for a Bible study. And then I think about all the hundreds and hundreds of people who have been impacted uh, from that Bible study over the last 13 years. So, so Father, uh, thank you for them. I pray your blessings upon them, their kids, the transition. I pray you would provide for their, their material needs, uh, their traveling, everything that goes into a move, Father. Uh, we just want to send off the, the Swallows family with love and I look forward to hearing uh, how you're going to use them in that neighborhood in Tennessee to impact others for the kingdom. Lord, bless them with a great church family over there and uh, help them be good stewards of the gifts and things that you've given them uh, to bless Tennessee. So we send them off with love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. God bless you guys. All right. A couple of announcements. Um, thank you to those of you who have uh, chatted with Eile after services to update our database. Uh, she'll be out front at a small table uh, she's just uh, using the first part of this year to update our email and, and mailing addresses. So if you're not sure that everything is current, you can stop by there. Also, the giving statements uh, will be available out front, I believe, with Bill as well, if you would like your giving statement. Okay. Mark, you want to come up? Uh, starting uh, sometime in the last couple of years, uh, uh, Gavin Ortland, pastor down at the Baptist Church, really felt the Lord kind of leading him to um, get together Christians from all around the valley to talk and pray about revival, about the Lord's spirit moving in the Ojai Valley, let alone in our country. Um, and there's been several meetings. A lot of people from different churches have attended that. It's really a sign and, and experience of unity together as believers, as brothers and sisters here in Ojai praying for our community. Uh, just last week, um, the Baptist Church has begun, I'm sorry, last month, earlier this in January, the Baptist Church has started 
hosting a, a uh, once-a-month prayer meeting. Um, it's at uh, Alan and Jana Fletcher's house. You can see the address up there on Quail Street. It's the first Tuesday of every month, so that's this upcoming Tuesday. Starts at 7 a.m., goes to about 7.45 or 8 a.m. Gavin is there uh, really uh, doing a great job and kind of just helping steer and kind of guide that time together. There were about 15 people at the meeting uh, last um, in January. All of them were from the Baptist Church except for myself who was there. So I know, I know for a fact there are many people who are sitting in uh, this room who are gifted, who the Lord has gifted. And we talked about that a couple of weeks, that the Holy Spirit has gifted you in prayer has put it on your heart to be someone who prays, who prays for other people, who prays for the gospel, who prays for the Lord's kingdom and work to be done. This is a wonderful opportunity to join together with other brothers and sisters to pray for our community. So invite you this upcoming Tuesday, Alan and Jana Fletcher's house, to join us in prayer. And Kathy is next. Hello. Good morning. Um, this is just a quick announcement. I want to first thank all the women who filled out the survey for women's ministry. We appreciate your input, and we are still planning. We're getting all that together, and we're still planning for this year's events. But the first one that we're going to be doing, just to get it on your calendars, is March 4th. Uh, it's just a coffee and convo. We've had a couple of them in the past, and they're very casual get-together. So there's not a whole lot of structure. There's not a whole lot of agenda to it. But it is getting together to fellowship. Uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, bring kids. We'll probably be at, hopefully the weather's nice enough that the kids can just be outside. We'll just hang out in the patio and outside. But it's a nice time to come together uh, with other women um, just to connect once again with them. And for those of you who plan ahead, we did plan our Christmas gathering, and that's December 2nd. So if you want to put that on your calendar as well. So we're still working on the in-between part. Thanks. Our last announcement is for youth ministry. We have our all-nighter coming up February 17th to 18th, and this Wednesday is the last day to sign up. So there are information sheets on the welcome cart, and you can also talk to Jordan if you would like more information or you'd like to sign up. Good morning, church. Again, right on. Uh, Boy, blessings to Cindy and her family. Let she always remember Ojai, where she was when the Cubs finally won the World Series. Right on. Right? Good deal. Well, it is a blessing always to man the podium here. We were given a pretty wide berth as far as discussing subjects of stewardship. Frankly, ahead of our general meeting, which I might give a plug for, is uh, two weeks away on Saturday. We look for you all to attend. I'm sure you will. Two weeks ago, Pastor Mark shared a terrific message about stewardship of the spiritual gifts in our lives. Last week, uh, Richie shared about stewardship of the priorities in our life. This week, the subject matter is going to be stewardship of the Word, the Word of God. That's what we're going to talk about. It's pretty vast. I have a funny story. A couple of weeks ago, Richie put out a text to us all and just, you know, kind of wanted to get an idea of what it was we were going to be discussing, what our topic and subject matter would be. And uh, I'd fired off, uh, maybe even first, that I'd... Talked, was going to talk about stewardship of spiritual gifts. And Mark came back and said, oh, wow, that's what the Lord put on my heart. I look forward to seeing what, you know, the contrast. And I thought, oh, I can't do that. I can't give another rendition. So he did a great job with the subject matter. So I was uh, left in the wilderness asking the Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And this is what he put on my heart today, the stewardship of the word. Uh, I know ordinarily I, I, I mystify everybody with media, lots of pictures and things going on. There's not going to be any of that today. So I'll have to animate you myself from up here with the word of God. That said, we do have 21 verses today because the subject matter is stewardship of the word, how it affects our lives. On Tuesday night Bible study, we kind of have a, a, a 
a home couple of verses that we always like to draw attention to. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And it reads, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, breathed out by God. Sometimes God told the Bible writers the exact words to say, but more often he used their minds, vocabularies, experiences to produce his own perfect, infallible, inerrant word. It's important to note that the inspiration applies only to the original manuscripts. You know, there's been numerous translations of scripture. And this is where we really come into effect in, in uh, stewardship of the word. There are no inspired scripture writers, only inspired scriptures. The authority of scripture is from God himself. God's word, the Bible, is the whole counsel of God. Everything we need to know for living this life and this world. When scripture speaks, God speaks. Let's take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, and also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. So you see, this qualifies the New Testament and the Old Testament biblically as scripture. Many will tell you, oh, the Old Testament scripture, this is just written by men. Not true via the words that you've just heard in the scripture. We're going to focus today primarily in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Because the point I want to drive home in that stewardship of the word isn't just the responsibility of the preachers. It's not. Every believer has a responsibility and a command from the Lord, given that it's in scripture, to be stewards of the word. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Boy, isn't that the truth? But beloved, this is reference to fellow believers of the church. That's who he's speaking to. Do not believe every spirit. John's informing his readers that, the others, that other spirits exist. An example, demonic spirits who produce false prophets and false teachers to spread their false doctrines. Christians are commanded to have a vigorous skepticism regarding any preaching or teaching. Unlike some among John's congregations who were too open-minded to anyone claiming a new teaching regarding faith. And he calls us to test, right? Christians must test any teaching with a view to approving or disapproving of it. The spirits and many false prophets. By comparing spirits and false prophets, John reminds believers that behind human teachings, teachers are knowingly uh, circulate false doctrine and error are demons inspired by Satan. Christians are to be stewards of the word by being students of the word. Where do we learn? Where do we learn? We learn in God's word. There are many opportunities here uh, through the ministries at this church for you to study the Bible. If you've just come to to a relationship with Jesus, but you haven't really dug into his word, learned his character, sought who he is, what he thinks about everything. It's all in his completed work in the Bible. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, 
as they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So Christians are to be like the Bereans, testing any message that the truth of the Holy Spirit. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anybody's word for it. If you know it when you hear it, amen. But if you question it, check it out on your own. False prophets and teachers are the bodily expressions of demonic spiritual sources. Knowingly, knowingly deceiving those. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Okay, false prophets don't deceive by actually disguising themselves as sheep. They don't. But by impersonating true shepherds of God's word of truth. They promote the wide gate and the wide way. Very easy. In Mark chapter 13, verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. That's the believer. Signs and wonders, satanic-inspired wannabe miracles used to support their claims to be true. Even the elect, that's dangerous. Believers can fall prey to these demonic deceivers if they're not stewards of the word. If you don't know the word, if you don't have a grasp of the word, if you don't know the character of our Lord, you're far more easily taken in by these deceivers. And we'll get back to 1 John chapter 4. The apostle has just instructed Christians not to believe every spirit, to exercise stewardship of the word, but to test the spirits whether they are of God. In verse 4-2, he continues, By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. I'm old school, so you don't have one of these tablets whipping the stuff around. I got actual pages because I, I don't trust the electronics there. So here, uh, John gives a litmus test to determine whether the substance of the message is of a demon spirit or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the living God, all other spirits being demonic. There's only two choices. You see, the Holy Spirit, which indwells a believer that has called on Christ for a personal relationship, surrendered their own directive in life and taken on his, immediately are indwelled with his Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, God, comes in, comes in and rules your life. There is no room for any other spirit. Any other spirit is a, is a subcontractor of Satan himself in various levels. So Jesus has come in the flesh. Christ is a title in that verse. It's the Messiah. This is the first test of the true teacher. They acknowledge and proclaim that Jesus is God himself. Hey, number one. Embodied in human flesh. They must confess that he came in the flesh to the earth, that his human body was physically real. Both the full morality and full deity of Jesus must be equally maintained by the teacher, who is to be considered genuinely of the Holy Spirit. John stresses the critical importance of sound doctrine expressed in God's word as the only absolute trustworthy standard. We'll continue in verse 4-3. And every spirit, notice it's a lowercase s, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. This is John writing this some five decades after he walked with Jesus for three years in his ministry. The spirit of the Antichrist, not the mortal man who will sit on the throne in the temple in Jerusalem during the tribulation, but the same spirit he will possess. The same demonic deception that will work to produce the final world ruler who rules as the false Christ and Messiah always actively seeking to distort 
Jesus Christ's true nature, misrepresenting the gospel. The final Antichrist won't be something new, but will be the ultimate incarnation of all the Antichrist spirits that have warped the truth, circulated satanic lies since the beginning. There won't be any secrets. It's the same playbook. Unfortunately, mankind without the Holy Spirit falls for the same playbook over and over again. Vince Lombardi was once asked, following a Super Bowl, when they dominated a ground game, how come you ran the same play 36 times out of your 41 plays? He said, they could never stop it. Why would I change? Just keep running the ball. 1 John 4.4 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? He who is in you is greater. Believers need to be conscious and alert to false teaching, but not fearful. Since those who have experienced the new birth with its indwelling Holy Spirit have a built-in check against false teaching, you have the word. True believers have nothing to fear. Because even Satan's minions with their falsifications can't take them out of the Lord's hand. It's impossible. Once the Lord is in you, here it is. 1 John 4, 5 and 6. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We, the apostles, are of God. He who knows God, believers, hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They speak as of the world. He knows God hears us. John gives the second test of a true teacher. They speak God's word following apostolic doctrine. See, before there was a word, before in these churches and these synagogues, when they established churches on the island of Crete and elsewhere, they didn't have a completed word of God. They didn't have a Bible. So the apostles and those the apostles were ordained as elders taught the apostolistic word of God. The apostles themselves performed miracles, which qualified them as God's men many times over. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Old and New Testaments are the only standards by which all teaching is to be tested. In contrast, demonically inspired teachers either reject or omit the teaching of God's word or adds or eliminate it. Stewardship over sound biblical doctrine refers to teachings that align with the revered word of God, the Bible. It's the only, only guide for everything. False doctrine in any idea that adds to, takes away from, contradicts, or nullifies the doctrine given in God's word is a false doctrine. That's how we know. In the book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. For there are many insubordinates, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Titus was Paul's trusted companion and fellow worker. Titus was also a Gentile. Being a living example that circumcision or any Jewish tradition of conversion was not a requirement of saving faith in Christ. So Paul has now commanded Titus and the elders flat out that they, false teachers, must be silenced. This is pretty heavy. I know it sounds harsh, especially in our modern era of tolerance. Around Ojai, we see constantly, you pull up behind a car, you see that bumper sticker, coexist. And the, the T symbol is, a, is the, the cross of Christ at the end, that we're to coexist with all other beliefs and, and, and religions in the valley, in the state, everywhere. Well, we can coexist as we in, 
continue to try to pursue them for a relationship with Jesus. At first, I'm thinking that a clearer understanding of the Greek translation would make Paul's command easier to abide with. But it literally means to muzzle. This is what I love about Bible dictionaries, concordances, study volumes. Get into the word. Don't just read that, that, uh, that scripture for, for what it says. It actually means to muzzle. Usually by stuffing something in someone's mouth. Get physical. That's his instruction to Titus, who's preaching this to the churches on the island. So Paul's mandate to young Titus and the other elders was, uh, was made in the presence of the Cretan congregations, the believers. They read this letter in the churches, which were typically homes and villages as they moved to the island. It couldn't be any clearer. Shut them up. That was the call. This wasn't Titus's sole responsibility. It was made clear that the responsibility was that of all believers to be stewards of the word. He didn't just say, Titus, look, you've got to go everywhere, and if you hear words that somebody's given some wonky doctrine somewhere, you've got to go in and take care of business. No. It was read to the folks that you have a responsibility to recognize this. He said, in effect, confront false teachers without delay, or they will tear the churches apart. That's what it means. We must be good stewards of God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. As followers of Christ, we have no excuse for remaining ignorant of theology because we have the whole counsel of God. The Bible is complete. In 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're less likely to be taken by smooth talkers and false prophets when we know God's word, when we exercise our stewardship of the word. It's important to point out the differences between false doctrine and, say, denominational disagreements. Not everything we disagree with in church is a false doctrine. So we don't need to stuff people's mouths full of things, take them on physically and so forth. We have to use a little judgment there. Different congressional or congregational groups see secondary issues in Scripture differently. These differences are not always due to false doctrine on anyone's part. Church policies, governmental decisions, style of worship, etc., are all open for discussion since they are not directly addressed in Scripture. Even those issues that are addressed in Scripture are often debated by equally sincere followers of Christ. Differences in interpretation or practice do not necessarily qualify as false doctrine, nor should they divide the body of Christ. We need to be very careful. Very careful. Chairs or pews, Sunday morning or evening, configuration of the sanctuary, Frequency of communion, worship music, dress code, Zoom or in person, and my personal favorite, donuts or cheese, and on and on. Secondary issues. This isn't what we're talking about. We should never be divided. We should take our agreements and have a group hug and come back next week to hear what the Lord has to say for all of us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So again, here Paul is referencing unity of doctrine in the local assembly of believers. The well is the local assembly of believers. Doctrinal unity clearly and completely based on scripture. 
must be the foundation of all church life. If you've never visited our website, let me see if this works, ovcfchurch.org. If you haven't already, I ask you to read our statement of faith. You're coming here, if you've not done that and read our statement of faith, it's very defined and detailed about what it is sound doctrinally that we believe in, what is preached from this pulpit. The group of five of us elders gather frequently, frequently to discuss that and support that. We're unified in that, in all things. Paul is also being insistent that both a weak commitment to doctrine and a commitment to disunity of doctrine will severely weaken a church, severely. Destroy true unity in its place. There can only be a shallow tolerance of opposing doctrine or insincere harmony. That's what we're left with if we're not together. So I encourage you, go to the church's website, read, study. False doctrine always opposes some fundamental truth or that which is necessary for salvation. So what kind of false teaching or doctrine do we face today? The following are just a few examples of false teaching and doctrine being preached around the world, America, California, and in this valley today. How about this one? The eliminating of hell from scripture and teaching. The Bible describes hell as a real place of eternal torment, the destination for every unregenerate soul. What's an unregenerate soul, you ask? Any one of us present in the well today, streaming online, watching this at any time in the future, who is not called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, committing to his authority as detailed in his word. A denial of hell directly contradicts Jesus' own words and is therefore a false doctrine. Jesus said it himself. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, capital H, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God is the one who destroys in hell. Persecutors can only harm the body. In Luke 12, chapter 5, I'm sorry, Luke 12, verse 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. This isn't always the subject matter of verses that get delivered from this pulpit or any pulpit. We dance around. It's not very encouraging. It's not really uplifting. But God put it on my heart for this week because periodically, periodically we have to go here. Him is God. Hell is real. There's no second chances. There's no purgatory. We will all spend eternity at one of two addresses. Jesus will make a place for you and it's your free will option to choose him. We have a choice. Number two, the idea that there are many paths to God. Boy, do we hear this one all the time, right? Wow, that's a big one. This philosophy has become popular recently under the guise of tolerance, right? This false doctrine claims that since God is love, he will accept any religious effort as long as the practitioner is sincere and a good person. This is not God's truth. Hell is full of sincere and good people. Simply because they rejected his calling and free gift of salvation. There's a path. It's noted in his word. He tells each and every one of us exactly how we come to a relationship with him. Such doctrine flies in the face of the entire Bible and effectively eliminates any need for the Son of God to have taken on flesh and been crucified for us. Why would he have done it if there were many ways and many paths? 
God isn't excluding anyone from coming to him for salvation. That's why he calls on us to preach his gospel message to all of the earth. That's why we have such a mission outreach here, to take his word to people and places that may never have heard it. It's what we do. That's what we as a body of elders choose to invest the dollars that you give to the Lord's ministry at this church to fund. Preaching his truth and his word to those who may otherwise never have heard it. God sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life in this world so all could be saved. That was his purpose. Everyone's quite familiar with the first end of this, but John 3 Verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Amen again. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already. What? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You understand that? We were born, we were conceived in sin. We were born into darkness. Little children all given a pass until the age of accountability. I can't tell you what that number is or what that birthday is. But as parents, as grandparents, raising children in the home, be good stewards of the word. Teach your children about Jesus. That contradicts Jesus' direct words that he is the only way to God. Let's look at John 14 and verse 6. Jesus, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. Impossible to argue, yet many do. Jesus said it himself. Taking issue with John 14, 6 is clear evidence of an unbeliever because that's what we believe. Number three, any teaching that redefines the person of Jesus Christ. Doctrine that denies the deity of Christ, right? His virgin birth, his sinless nature, his actual death or his physical resurrection is false doctrine. That's everywhere, folks. A group's errant Christology readily identifies it as a sect or a cult that may claim to be Christian, but is actually teaching false doctrine. That's everywhere on this planet. Even many mainline denominations have begun the rapid slide into apostasy, declaring that they no longer hold to the literal interpretation of Scripture or the deity of Christ. I hear this in the news and reading and, and things on a, on a daily basis all over this country. Number four, teaching that adds human religious works to Christ's finished work on the cross as necessary ingredients for salvation. This teaching may pay lip service to salvation by faith alone. They may dance that out there. Some groups legislate hairstyles, clothing options, food consumption, to name just a few. That's in this country. That's folks claiming to be giving you the truth of the Lord. There isn't any of that in here. You will not find it in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The entire work of redemption had been brought to completion. The translation, it is finished, comes from a Greek word, teleho, meaning paid in full. That's it. He paid it in full. Nothing else is required. 
Nothing can be done to earn or maintain salvation. Once received, you cannot lose it. That would be a false doctrine. Number five, the teaching that presents grace is a license to sin, sometimes called easy believism. We struggle with this one all the time. This false doctrine implies that all one must do to be in right standing with God is to believe the facts about Jesus. Pray a prayer at some point and then resume control of one's life with the assurance of heaven at the end. My grandson Hank's in the nursery. He'd say, hooey. That's what it is. That's not what we do here. We're very clear week after week when we offer a prayer of salvation, which we'll do today, that it's the heart. It's your heart. It's not my words. It's not Richie's words. It's not anybody's words. You're praying along. You're asking the Lord to invade your life, to invade your heart, to take over from your control to his control. Let's look at Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who has done who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not <clears throat> prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus knows those who have a cultivated heart, repented of their sin, commit to him, be Lord of their life. He knows. We don't know. Fellow believers only recognize the production of fruit in a new believer. Only God knows. So this isn't me trying to say I'm a fruit inspector and I'm checking everybody out and checking it twice and I'm making a call on your salvation. That's 100% between you and the Father. But as a church and being stewards of the word, we have a responsibility before anyone in the church is teaching our children, up here leading worship, up here speaking from this podium. We are fruit inspectors. We will check it out. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's all things. Nothing remains the same. Saved people are not perfect. But the new creation is without habitual sin. It's not biblical that one could continue in sin and claim to have an indwelling Holy Spirit. It's a false doctrine. Being good stewards of the word of God is not easy. We hear things like, you can't be sure of your salvation. We hear the prosperity gospel. Name it and claim it. All religions are basically the same. Universalism. There is no trinity. Marriage is not exclusively one man and one woman. Multiple levels of the Holy Spirit. Denial of the rapture. Denial of the tribulation. And countless others. And I mean countless others. It goes on and on and on. It was quite uh, educational studying for this message because the Lord led me and there were so, basically what he said was all 66 books of his word we need to study. We need to know. We need to steward. Here's some things that uh, come up in our everyday world and I want to shift this now from having a scripture knowledge and coming here and patting each other on the back and saying, oh, brother or sister, I'm sure glad we're in the family of God. And then walking out that door and going home, going to lunch, going to work, going to school, anywhere that we're going online. We need to be stewards of his word and defend his word in all areas of our world. Public bathrooms 
right? I remember one morning now, I don't know, six or seven years ago, hearing this news in the morning that it was now illegal to just have men and women. I don't know how many of you, but I, countless occasions I've walked up to a series of doors and had to stand there for a minute and go, I might need help here. Which, which one's just for the guys? I don't know. There's a place to defend God's word. Gay marriage. We hear this one all the time. It's okay. You see the signs in people's yards as I work and drive around. We love everybody. God loves everybody. God wants everyone to have a relationship with him. But his word is clear. And if we're stewards of the word, this isn't some buffet that we just pick out the parts we like. His word and his truth is complete. I'm not saying we need to beat people down or get in their face or have uncomfortable conversations about God's disapproval of gay marriage. But we should defend his word. We believe in him. He resides in us. Therefore, this is the position that we take. How about the Ten Commandments in courtrooms? That one's been gone for, what, 20 years now? It used to be everywhere. What in the world that's right and wrong does not be rooted in the Ten Commandments? What is the purpose of taking it out with the exception of the fact that it's just from God? Right? Many stood in opposition to that, but the vast number of those in the world overruled it. Stewardship of the word. How about the Pledge of Allegiance removed in classrooms? When my kids were in elementary school, here in the valley, uh, Miramani school, they had a teacher, was it third grade, fifth grade, third, fourth, whatever, Mississippi. Mississippi used to play the piano. And every morning those kids would learn patriotic songs, most of which are embedded with God. Right? gone. High school football coaches being run out of town on a rail and fired. I remember that in my day in the early 80s. We would gather in a locker room. We would say the Lord's Prayer. There wasn't anybody up preaching to anybody. But just that, no more. Believers would gather at the 50-yard line from both teams after the game for prayer. If someone was injured on the field, we'd pray. That can't be seen anymore. Prayer in school removed of any kind, any kind. How about homosexuality in commercials and print advertisement? Are we expected to endure that and just sit back, stewards of the faith, stewards of the word of God, knowing that that's not okay, and see that? Just take it as if it's the norm? Take it as if God somehow loves that? No. We teach in our own family. Again, I'm not asking you to be activists and get out on the street, but in your own family, in your own circle, when you're asked, what do you think about that? Be honest with the word of God because he lives in you as a believer. How about Christmas and Easter vacations being replaced with winter and spring breaks? I'm not that old, but I remember that, right? Christmas vacation, Easter vacation. We can't even say it anymore. How about gender reassignment for children? Good grief, right? This is going on in our press and our news and our world in front of our face. Many believers in high position in the government stand and fight this. If these subject matters come up anywhere in our circles... We too, being stewards of the word, understanding that this is not God's will, should respectfully stand for God and what he believes. What if you're in here today, you're live streaming, you're going to watch this at a later date, and you don't have a relationship with the Lord? His indwelling Holy Spirit 
brings this check of his word, his consciousness, his guidance, his wisdom to every aspect of our life as believers. He's calling you today. I don't know what the Holy Spirit has said to you today. If I asked 100 of you, I'd probably hear 98 different things because that's the way he works. It's not easy believism. But if your heart is ready to forfeit your command of life and to let him command your life by his truth in these words, pray this prayer with me. Father God, I'm exhausted from being in leadership of my life. I ask you to come into my world as Lord and Savior. I'm ready to commit to you, to commit to your word, to commit to your truth. I know you sent your son Jesus to live a sinless life in this world, to carry the burden of my sins, because I am a sinner, to the cross, a sacrifice. I know that he died for me. That he was buried in a borrowed tomb. That he came back to life on the third day. He was seen by hundreds. And that he ascended to be at your right hand and wait for us. He sent your Holy Spirit, Father, you to be in all of us as that conscious, as that guide, as that resource of holiness, your holiness, your righteousness that we could pursue. Lord, I know that I'll fail repeatedly as I pursue your righteousness. But I repent of my sins I turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Father, I know supernaturally you can help with that. Again, Father, I call on you to lead my life. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer in sincerity, I don't know. We don't know. But he knows. And if that's the case, he just gifted you with his Holy Spirit and your life will be changed for forever. In a moment, we're going to take communion. It is for the believer. Communion is for the believer. In front of you in the seat backs, there's communion cups. You're welcome to take those. You're welcome to get up and come forward and grab uh, a cup from the front. He asked us to do this in remembrance of him. Let's remember this of him his gift of the word to us. Thank you. Yeah, again, on first Sundays, it's a family service. And, and I shared earlier, you know, with the child dedication and the births, uh, there are seasons as a church family. Um, sometimes there's memorials as well. Um, and then we celebrate when God brings in new families, right? That's a season of newness. And many of you are fairly new from last year into this year, and we welcome you. Uh, and then there's sometimes in, uh, in a church family when God calls families uh, to, to depart to other parts of the country, other parts of the world, just kind of what he's doing in their life. And so this morning, uh, we as a church family have an opportunity to pray for and send off uh, the Swallows family. So I want you guys to come on up. And um, I've known uh, Cindy and Larry, her husband, for over 20 years. And uh, kids grew up with them. Uh, very special uh, part of our family's life, Josh and Steph, I remember when you were dating, and then you got married, and now you got two running around here. Um, if you don't know, uh, this family is a whole is a very foundational part of our church. Uh, Thirteen years ago, um, God put it on, on our heart, my wife and I, to just have a Bible study, not even start a church, just have a Bible study, and we asked Cindy if she would open her home right over there, and lo and behold, many of you kept coming, and that was our first church sign right there on her front door after a few weeks. And I think there's one more that showed what it was like with the green plastic chairs. And uh, 
word just spread, and, uh, you know, Randy's one of Randy's favorite word, organic. Uh, God just moved, and what started as a Bible study just right over here uh, in this neighborhood uh, became this 13 years later, and it's a testament to God's faithfulness. We give him all the glory and praise, uh, but also a testament to, to your faithfulness, and uh, really appreciate uh, your family as a whole, uh, seeing you grow up, and... Uh, it's just beautiful, and I know uh, Glenn and Mel and the family in Tennessee are all excited uh, to have everyone there uh, together. So uh, we're going to pray for them, and uh, you'll be departing in the next few weeks. Very busy time, so if you would pray for their, just a transition, you know. Uh, it's, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, God opened some incredible doors that really only God could do to make this happen this quickly. Um, so we're going to send you off. Okay, let's pray. So Father, thank you. Uh, that in your sovereignty, in your providence, uh, you bring uh, people into our lives. And they're very special people. And uh, they're there for, for a lot of different reasons. And so, Father, uh, this morning as a church family, uh, we want to celebrate and send off the Swallows family. Father, I thank you, uh, not just personally, but I thank you pastorally, uh, to think about uh, what Cindy and her family did uh, 13 years ago in opening their home uh, for a Bible study. And then I think about all the hundreds and hundreds of people who have been impacted uh, from that Bible study over the last 13 years. So, so Father, uh, thank you for them. I pray your blessings upon them, their kids, the transition. I pray you would provide for their their material needs, uh, their traveling, everything that goes into a move, Father. Uh, We just want to send off the the Swallows family with love and look forward to hearing uh, how you're going to use them in that neighborhood in Tennessee to impact others for the kingdom. Lord, bless them with a great church family over there and uh, help them be good stewards of the gifts and things that you've given them uh, to bless Tennessee. So we send them off with love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. God bless you guys. All right. A couple of announcements. Um, thank you to those of you who have uh, chatted with Eile after services to update our database. Uh, she'll be out front at a small table uh, she's just uh, using the first part of this year to update our email and, and mailing addresses. So if you're not sure that everything is current, you can stop by there. Also, the giving statements uh, will be available out front, I believe, with Bill as well, if you would like your giving statement. Okay. Mark, you want to come up? Uh, starting uh, sometime in the last couple of years, uh, uh, Gavin Ortland, pastor down at the Baptist Church, really felt the Lord kind of leading him to um, get together Christians from all around the valley to talk and pray about revival, about the Lord's spirit moving in the Ojai Valley, let alone in our country. Um, and there's been several meetings. A lot of people from different churches have attended that. It's really a sign and, and experience of unity together as believers, as brothers and sisters here in Ojai praying for our community. Uh, just last week, um, the Baptist Church has begun, I'm sorry, last month, earlier this in January, the Baptist Church has started hosting a, a uh, once-a-month prayer meeting. Um, it's at uh, Alan and Jana Fletcher's house. You can see the address up there on Quail Street. It's the first Tuesday of every month, so that's this upcoming Tuesday. Starts at 7 a.m., goes to about 7.45 or 8 a.m., Gavin is there uh, really uh, doing a great job in kind of just helping steer and kind of guide that time together. There were about 15 people at the meeting uh, last um, in January. All of them were from the Baptist Church except for myself who was there. So I know, I know for a fact there are many people who are sitting in uh, this room who are gifted, who the Lord has gifted. And we talked about that a couple of weeks, that the Holy Spirit has gifted you in prayer has put it on your heart to be someone who prays, who prays for other people, who prays for the gospel, who prays for the Lord's kingdom and work to be done. This is a wonderful opportunity to join together with other brothers and sisters to pray for our community. So invite you this upcoming Tuesday, Alan and Jana Fletcher's house, to join us in prayer. And Kathy is next. Hello. Good morning. Um, This is just a quick announcement. I want to first thank all the women who filled out the survey for women's ministry. We appreciate your input, and we are still planning. We're getting all that together, and we're still planning for this year's events. But the first one that we're going to be doing, just to get it on your calendars, is March 4th. 
Uh, it's just a coffee in Convo. We've had a couple of them in the past. And they're very casual get-together. So there's not a whole lot of structure. There's not a whole lot of agenda to it. But it is getting together for the fellowship. Uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, bring kids. We'll probably be at, hopefully the weather's nice enough that the kids can just be outside. We'll just hang out in the patio and outside. But it's a nice time to come together uh, with other women um, just to connect once again with them. And for those of you who plan ahead, we did plan our Christmas gathering, and that's December 2nd. So if you want to put that on your calendar as well. So we're still working on the in-between part. Thanks. Our last announcement is for youth ministry. We have our all-nighter coming up February 17th to 18th, and this Wednesday is the last day to sign up. So there are information sheets on the welcome cart, and you can also talk to Jordan if you would like more information or you'd like to sign up.